Welcome back to The Q Files. In our last episode, we shared our thoughts and stories with you about, well, eating the dead. In this episode, however, we're going to bring you along with us as we dine with the dead. And this time, we've invited along with us none other than Bucky Cutright, Columbus legend and master storyteller of those who have long passed. We will share a delightful afternoon meal and discover the truly fascinating history of American graveyards. And more specifically, that long-forgotten American tradition of cemetery picnics. In the early 1800s, if you died, your family would have kept your body at their home. And after washing and cleaning you, they would draw the drapes and the shutters, place heavy black crepe on the doorknobs, cover the mirrors, and stop the clocks. They would invite well-wishers who wanted to pay their respects to their front parlor where you would be presented, dressed in your finest, or even just a clean white gown. Or maybe, if no parlor was available, you would simply be placed on the kitchen table for the entirety of your wake. Your family and friends eating around you as mourners brought things like ham, casseroles, funeral cakes, or funeral pies to feed your grieving family and to also celebrate your life. Then, you would be buried, sometimes in a pinewood coffin, sometimes not, in a family plot or most likely behind your local church. These church graveyards were often stuffed full. Cemetery historian Tanya Marsh states that even by the time of the American Revolution in the late 1700s, that nearly 150,000 people had been buried in the graveyard of Trinity Church in New York City, 30 feet deep with no fill dirt, just bodies, in the heart of that quickly growing metropolis. Until the 1850s, upon your death, the church actually had legal possession of your body to protect it in consecrated ground until your presumed resurrection. It wasn't until a New York City lawyer named Samuel Ruggles won a case in 1856 regarding eminent domain as the city was plowing up graveyards to widen NYC streets that families in the next of kin were legally granted the right to determine the ultimate resting place of the deceased family members instead of the church. Before this time, many families indeed resisted the church domination and buried their families elsewhere. Consequently, by the church's standards, risking their chances of salvation. But burgeoning American cities were seeing new intense outbreaks of disease due to non-existent sanitation systems, overpopulation, and the many hazards caused by the decomposing bodies buried right smack in the middle of town, which were especially dangerous to the public water supply. Physician and botanist Jacob Bigelow was particularly concerned about this, and after pondering over it for five years, he came up with a radical idea, the rural cemetery. In 1830, along with the Massachusetts Horticulture Society, he created a sprawling 70-acre cemetery and designed it to complement the natural features of the land and its foliage. He intended it as a place of repose for both the living and the dead. The result was a Mount Auburn Cemetery outside of Boston, the first rural cemetery of its kind in the United States. Bigelow hoped that it would help to transcend the horrors of mortality. 
In a formal declaration, the local residents of all classes were also invited to take in and observe the beauty of the land and share that peace with their loved ones buried there. They were advised to treat this new public cemetery as a pleasure ground and enjoy what would essentially be our first American public park, of which there were none in the early 1800s. It was a place to reflect upon death, but also on your own life and the living. People soon flocked to this pastoral site and buried their family members there. They would fully embrace this natural and compassionate opportunity for solace and the welcome respite from their grieving. And fittingly, they would even begin to picnic amongst the tombstones with their dearly departed. Rural cemeteries would spring up all over the country. So, along with Bucky, we decided to take a picnic to our own local rural graveyard right here in Columbus, Ohio, known as Greenlawn Cemetery. We're here for a cemetery picnic um, because this was a very common occurrence mm-hmm. in uh, mid-1800s, late-1800s, early-1900s, yes. where families would come and picnic with their loved ones who had passed. Yes, and actually, I still see people doing it occasionally. Do you? To this day when I'm here, yeah. Um, I used to do it all the time. Uh, uh, I hate to say this in front of all your beautiful food, but whenever the Long John Silver's was open at the end, I would always grab that and come down here and be like, oh, you know, I'm eating the food that's going to kill me in the spot where they're going to bury me. (laughs) (laughs) It's a joke. I want to be taxidermied, but, you know. I'm with um, you there. I thought about that. Yeah, I've actually thought about that for sure. Yeah, like on a log fighting a mongoose somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, and it's funny, I was thinking about it this week, you know, these picnics seem to stop when, um, you know, the, the, the dead used to be kept in the home and the wakes were in the home mm. and, and everything. When that was professionalized and the bodies that were taken out of the home, there seemed to be start, sort of an awkwardness with people who had passed, yeah. even family members. And, you know, this speaks of the intimacy that they had with the dead, mm-hmm. um, you know, back in the 18th, early 1900s, they were comfortable. They were in their house. They were their family. It would only make sense to picnic with them, right? Yes, indeed. Yeah. I mean, it. there was a lot. We, they did have a much closer relationship. We've kind of distanced ourselves from death. Right. Uh, and we don't in, even in see it society. except for this pristine sort of, yeah. even if... You know, a lot of people are cremated now. No one even sees the body. No, it's it, it, they want it to be very clean. It's it's uncomfortable. Uh, but the Victorians, because it was so present, they made friends with it in a sense. You know, and they the the cemetery we're in, uh, Greenlawn, is a, a considered a rural cemetery, which that movement was um, part of a, a effort to beautify death. And uh, in early America, they wouldn't even put you in caskets. Sometimes you'd just be thrown in a bag and dumped in a hole but uh around the mid 1800s they started really creating these ornate coffins and uh, rituals that yeah you know that, that i think are just fantastic you know so we're actually going to um partake of a picnic yes. okay this would be the food that we have here is this could very easily be an 1870s 1920s uh picnic yes um, so what we have is, um, and all this, it, it's supposed to be wrapped in the appropriate things too. Um, so we have meat sandwiches, mm-hmm. that was very popular. 
uh, homemade mayonnaise, um, and there always had to be lettuce on those sandwiches for some reason. Yes. I don't know why. <laughs> always lettuce. You gotta get your greens. Gotta get your greens, and then we have some um, deviled eggs. What is a picnic without deviled eggs? Oh, right. And so when I look to the origin of the deviled eggs, um, it's actually first century Rome. They started yeah. making deviled eggs and then it became popular in Italy and actually came over with Italian uh, immigrants. Was it as a way to preserve the eggs? Yes, probably? exactly. Okay. That's yeah. exactly right. Mm -hmm. um, and then we have um, coleslaw. I think this is my favorite story. So in 1770s, there was a Dutch cookbook that had a recipe from all it said was a Dutch landlady mm -hmm. and it was called Koolsla, K-O-O-L-S-L-A, and eventually that got here and was turned into coleslaw. So that's how that <laughs> It happened. came through Ellis Island. It, exactly, that's name. exactly right. Yes, it was forced yeah. to change its name. And then we actually have um, brown bags of potato chips. Brown bags were invented in 1850. Um, and the flat bag bit, flat brown bag, a huge new development was in 1870. So people oh, were wow. putting things in. Um, brown paper bags. Wax paper was actually lived, um, was actually uh, created in medieval times, particularly for odorous, odiferous yeah. food, uh, and that would seal it in yeah. if you had, were carrying something stinky like yeah. some sardines or anchovies or something. And um, then, of course, uh, so in those brown bags we have Saratoga chips, which in 1860 yes. uh, George Crum aptly named, um, uh, invented uh, potato chips in Saratoga, New York, so they were called yes. Saratoga chips. Um, so those would have been here. We have coleslaw, um, some pickles to go, um, and I cooked a Tyler pie. This is a pie, uh, what was also known as a desperation pie. Yes. Um, cooked in the depression when you use pantry items and stuff on the farm, milk and eggs. Mm. Um, this is an Edna Lewis, my favorite chef. Uh, this is her recipe. Um, and it was called Tyler Pie because it is um, named after John Tyler, the 10th president. Yes. Only because he lived in Virginia, and that's where this really originated in the 1850s. Huh. Uh, said he loved the Lucky pie, him. but that's why. <laughs> so that's what we have. And talk about this, your, um, Brucky brought this amazing, we'll, we'll definitely put up pictures on our Facebook um, and Twitter. Th this is incredible. This oh, is what Bucky you. brought. Yeah, thanks. Well, this all looks incredible. Um, I'm very excited about this. And uh, these are um, Victorian funeral cakes. And um, they would traditionally be uh, offered at the uh, after a funeral, um, and would be consumed with uh, wine, usually at the little gatherings afterwards. Now, these are made with cardamom and caraway, and caraway seems to be a consistent ingredient in funeral cakes, no matter the recipe. And I was looking to find out why, and couldn't really come up with anything. But then I did discover that. Uh, Caraway was used by the ancient Egyptians. They bury their dead with it to ward off evil spirits. Ah. And um, these uh, were surrounded by a lot of obelisk in the cemetery, which yeah. are a lot of the, yeah. you know. I've, that Egyptian imagery. You yeah, can the, see. The, yeah, they were obsessed with the um, uh, Egyptian themes and uh, during the Victorian era. So I think that's probably what the caraway seeds are for. And we'll put a picture up. They're great because they're sealed uh, with actually a wax seal with a skull on it. Mm -hmm. So the, the presentation is just fantastic. Thanks. Fantastic. Yeah. Did my best with that. Well, we can dig in. Oh, and I brought some cream soda. Interesting history about cream soda. 1850s, it was originally 
had egg and whipped milk. It was really like an egg cream. Yeah. Um, and then in 1870, a physician named Dr. Brown decided to take the egg and the cream out and put in vanilla. Vanilla was becoming, extract was becoming available. Yeah. Threw some carbonation in it and boom, Dr. <laughs> Brown's, I think we have it still today. We do. Um, so they would definitely have had cream um, soda. This is Boylan's, a local uh, brand. Um, but they definitely would have had cream soda at one of these picnics, so. Excellent. Shall, Shall we, we dig we? in? Yes, let's. Absolutely. There weren't parks mm -hmm. uh, in those days. Um, Another reason people came to cemeteries. Picnicked in cemeteries. The cemeteries yeah. were designed by um, uh, people that would go on to design city parks. Howard Daniels, the guy that built this, uh, he uh, designed um, Druid Hill in Baltimore, a big city park. Um, uh, really? Yeah. I had no idea. Mm -hmm. A bunch of different stuff. So that's where. Oh, oh, perfect. There's our ants. ants. Yes, we have we, our first ant. Yeah, we needed ants. <laughs> this place has so many. You know, there's 160,000 people buried here on those. So 160,000. Mm -hmm. Wow. You want to, a few weeks ago, I was like, you want to put COVID into perspective. <laughs> you know? Yeah, wow. That's a One great point. I read when I was like reading up on this, you know, like, um, was that part of the reason that this took off so much? was because not only was were they trying to like make these places nice, which was a change, but it kind of coincided with pandemics. Yeah, they did. Anyway, mm -hmm. really? could, there was no place to go hang out with your family or friends because there weren't any parks. Yeah, there weren't parks. The cities were very <laughs> polluted and disgusting. And and these parks, well, the first uh, rural cemetery was in uh, Boston in the 1830s, but it was, uh, you know, there was a, cholera epidemic in 1830s. Uh, there was, it, was, it was a bad one here in uh, Ohio with the creation of the canals. Um, then also in 1848 to 1851, there was a huge cholera epidemic. There's lots of really notable people here that uh, um, were victims of that. The very first person permanent resident of Greenlawn was a Dr. Uh, Benjamin Gard, who uh, tried to help at the penitentiary whenever the cholera epidemic hit there and he contracted it and died. So the problem was, is yeah, these er, there were urban graveyards, and having corpses in your drinking water was yeah. uh, <laughs> um, spreading the cholera. So yeah, yeah. so that's so they've created these parks as a sort of sanitary thing, but also yeah, there was there weren't places to get away and, and commune with nature. So they wanted these to be um, just that, like arboretums, you know. Yeah, I know it feels so. It's stereotypical, but peaceful it and is. <laughs> quiet and serene, and the mm -hmm. birds. I mean, I can, I can see coming out here all the time for a picnic. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it is the perfect picnic location. It's nicer than the actual parks now. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. There's not a bunch of people. There's not dogs. There's not screaming children. It's very like how you envision going to the park. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It is, and that's you know. I mean, I. I've utilized it like that for years. This place, it's a hidden gem. And with um, the current pandemic, there is an increase in, you know, visitors because a lot of people have kind of figured this sort of thing out. Yeah. We want to avoid living people. Yeah. We don't have any problems socially distancing with them. They're all six feet down. Yeah, that's you know? a, that, six feet. There's our six feet. Uh -huh. <laughs> well, that's hilarious. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And we had not come for a picnic to sit amongst random tombstones. Bucky had picked a very special and beautiful place for us to dine with a member of one of Columbus's most well-known families. 
the Sells Brothers of national circus fame and local notoriety. So talk a little bit about um, the gentleman that we're visiting today and his family okay. uh, here in Green Lawn. Yeah, so we're actually at the grave of Ephraim Sells, who uh, his family uh, started a circus here in Columbus in 1870s, and uh, they they actually started one a little bit earlier that failed because they didn't have an elephant. <laughs> and, um, uh, but they... They around 1871 is when the Sells Brothers Circus started and it became a huge, uh, pop, very popular circus throughout the uh, United States and traveled the world. And uh, he was the eldest uh, family member of the siblings who uh, ran the circus, and he actually was the first to die, consequently. And a year after his death, whenever the uh, circus uh, came back into town, uh, a very unusual event occurred here when they had a parade uh, procession through the, the cemetery of all the circus um, performers, uh, sideshow, uh, you know, um, freaks as they would be called then, you know, and um, um, acrobats, uh, bearded ladies, you know, marching through this cemetery uh, to the beat of a drum with a band in front. Uh, they stopped at this grave and uh, honored their circus friend with uh, a mound of flowers and a, uh, and a little bit of a song. Yeah. So uh, we're looking here and, and you can see a division uh, between this sort of sections of gravestone. Would you think this is the road where yes. the procession would come yes. up and walk past his grave? This would have been, yeah. The um, entrance in those days was at the back of the cemetery at Brown Road, not the entrance that we came in. And uh, they would come through uh, up this road and there are a lot of the old paths that have kind of been claimed as grave sites now, you know, but you can still see evidence of some of them, and this is clearly where they would have come up this hill to this grave site. Um, yeah, a big crowd gathered to watch this. They would do it every year, actually, Didn't whenever this really? circus would return. Can you imagine seeing that? I mean, just picture that. Oh, I'd give anything to <laughs> have seen that. Um, there was a, a there was a group of uh, snickering women who were kicked out of the cemetery uh, during that first I think time. That's in the article. Yes, yeah, we'll yeah, actually read yeah, the article. Yeah. Uh, um, that's in the article, that's, uh -huh. right. that's uh -huh. right. But yeah, it would have been something else to see. Ephraim's uncle, Cyrus, was a um, guard at the penitentiary. Really? <laughs> and oh. uh, he was beheaded in 1841 by an um, inmate named William Clark. <laughs> William Clark was uh, uh, doing time for highway robbery and he and uh, Cyrus Sells had a very antagonistic relationship so uh, Cyrus to, um, to make uh, Clark's experience in prison worse would uh, have him comb Cyrus's hair uh, groom him in front of all the other inmates emasculating just a humiliating yeah and, and yeah. Um, one day Clark got his hands on a Cooper's axe unbeknownst to Cyrus so while he was combing his hair he just chopped his head off and uh, so uh, William Clark had the distinction of being uh, the first, uh, one of the first two people to be uh, publicly executed in Columbus <laughs> in 1844, he and a woman named Esther Foster. And uh, grave robbing was such a big thing at the time, after he, they cut him down and buried him on the site where the gallows were, uh, two different groups showed up to try to dig him up and there was a gunfight over it. 
and no one really knew exactly where the body turned up. But there is a doctor, uh, Ichabod Jones, who's buried just on the other side of these trees. Of course, here. a doctor named Ichabod Jones. Is that not mm. the best doctor mm. name ever? <laughs> yeah, it is. He had uh, his prized possession in his uh, office of his private practice was a uh, severed human foot in a jar on his desk. So it was said to be William Clark's. Now, just a block away from his office was the first museum in uh, Columbus, the Walcott Museum, which was uh, started by a guy named uh, George Walcott, who's also just a few burial plots away from us in an unmarked grave here. And uh, his museum had uh, boasted wax uh, figures as they did in those days, but one of them was said to be a very lifelike uh, William Clark the Axe Murderer. So it could have been that sort of Vincent Price, you know, where they just dug the body up, dipped it in wax, and yeah, put it yeah. on display, wow. you know, and the doctor got the foot. Now, um, you know, I, I uh, read recently that, so they had this seven elephant show, that was like their big thing was mm. their elephants, and when the Ringling Brothers bought their first two elephants, they bought them at an auction, a Sells Brother circus auction mm -hmm. for Ringling Brothers, but they talk about, so I guess it was Fifth Avenue. Southwest of Fifth Avenue was the Sells, mm -hmm. um, their land. It's where Sellsville. It, Sellsville, that's mm -hmm. right. And they, um, you know, wintered there with their their um, employees and grew the the food for the elephants and animals. So they, there's all kinds of stories. I'd like to read more of these of their neighbors. You know, one guy was driving a motorcycle across the Fifth Avenue bridge and. There comes an elephant just walking down the, mm -hmm. you know, walking down the street. <laughs> People used to have monkeys climbing in their windows yeah. at night yeah. because they said the esca animal escape was a big problem oh, in Columbus. But if only we were still a circus town. I know, you know? right? And, but, he's, but it said, you know, it did kind of endear the neighbors to them because, mm -hmm. you know, you'd look out and there would be, you know, a hip -hop, hippopotamus down the way. Yeah. Um, but so here's another fascinating thing. Um, so they obviously had a lot of African Americans in their employ, mm -hmm. um, and it looks like actually they treated them better. Now we know they weren't there to make African American lives better, uh, but you know that was a fully integrated circus, mm -hmm. um, and uh, they had a school, uh, and 50% were white, 50% were you know Indigenous Americans and African Americans, and they all went to school together. Yeah, was probably more integrated than any other place in Columbus. Yeah, um, early on, and then this is fascinating. Annie Oakley was first with the Cells Circus oh, wow. before she went to Wild Bill, mm -hmm. and you know how that she she came to this. Her husband was the sharpshooter. Okay, he had this act where he shot an apple or something off someone's head. Well, he shot the guy in the head. Guy survived, but didn't want to do it anymore. Mm. So he's like, okay, Annie, come on. So he actually got her into it that way. And, you know, she became the star, but mm. she got her start with the cells. Mm -hmm. cells. Um, so when they did their own Wild West show that Annie Oakley was in, <clears throat> that's how they got so many, in, you know, indigenous um, Americans here in Columbus was because they actually wanted real, you know, Native mm -hmm. Americans yeah. to play the Indians. Mm -hmm. And so those schools became integrated then with, you know, indigenous people. So it was really an incredible community yeah. when you think about it. Well, I that's mean, a, I mean, the notion of running away and joining the circus is something I think that's lost on current generations. Yes. But, but it was this, you know, if you grew up different, you know, if you and you sort of formed your own family. That's what the circus was for a lot of people, you know, so. And this seemed to really to be, well, I think 
when you hear about the tributes that the employees would pay yeah. annually, yeah. that's not someone they hated. Oh, you know, no. That's not someone he that was taking care exploited of them. them necessarily. <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. And that was rare in the circus business, as mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. Because um, it was really eventually Barnum that kind of put them out of business. And they went with the, uh, I think it was Adam Forepaw, and they yes. joined. It was, and, yeah, they joined. The and then they were huge. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And well, you know, there's some interesting stories about Salesville. One, uh, the same year that this, the the circus came here to uh, have their first tribute at Ephraim's, there was a, a trainer in Salesville who uh, took one of the elephants, Big Sid, what was the elephant's name? He took him out for a walk and uh, Big Sid uh, disemboweled him with his tusk. Then after he had uh, done that, he uh, jumped up and down on the body a little bit, uh, breaking the legs and crushing the skull. I don't know what the trainer did, but wow. elephants know. Wow. You know? Wow. So, um, so there's interesting things like that that happened that got buried. There, there was a um, very strange unsolved murder that took place in Sellsville where there was a woman and she was only 18, I believe, and her uh, husband, uh, they didn't get along very well, but they were both stabbed and shot uh, multiple times. They're buried uh, a little ways over there. Really? Yeah. Really? Yeah, so that, yeah, but the, but I love the, the idea of the integration, you know, that and They happened. actually had an African-American um, baseball team mm -hmm. called the Sellsville Sluggers. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I would love to have a one of those oh, jerseys. Oh, you know what? We need to get that sales <laughs> that, that'll, be, that, that'll be the next um, uh, yeah. product. So anyway, it was kind of, um, I knew some about them, but these, these kind of cooler things yeah. about, you know, this family. Yeah. And, uh, they, but, you know, their circuses, people don't know, is one of the first huge circuses in the country. Yeah. Yeah. We were talking about the inclusion and the integration within them. The uh, Cells Circus, uh, Greenlawn actually has a pretty remarkable history for that. Um, there was never uh, this there was this wasn't a segregated cemetery. Really? Um, yeah. It, it, there was a um, African American uh, cemetery that was uh, on the other side of Brown Road, and um, then whenever Greenlawn uh, was created, they were sort of brought over across the street and incorporated into this. No kidding. And yeah, and one thing on my uh, Civil War tour is I sort of talk about Columbus had a pretty proud tradition of uh, abolitionists, and um, there's quite a few prominent family plots here where they have uh, um, one of them, Robert Neal, uh, he was uh, the Neal family, which uh, had the farm that became OSU. And there you go, Neal. Neil Avenue. Yeah, Neil Avenue. It was their street that <laughs> yeah. led to their house. Oh, well, his brother Williams. But uh, Robert, whenever their father died, the first thing he did is went to um, their his father's farm in Kentucky and freed all the slaves. And there was one guy named Ambrose Jurius um, who he uh, who followed him back here. And Ambrose uh, worked for him his entire life, just as a um, you know they were friends. And um, he was so close with the family that he's and his wife are buried inside the Neal family plot. They have their own stone within the family plot. No kidding. Yeah. Um, the, the founders of Franklinton, which led to Columbus, uh, Lucas Sullivan and his wife, Sarah, um, Sarah brought slaves with her whenever they founded Columbus in 1797. Then in 1802, when the state charter was written as a free state, the slaves were like, see a bitch, you know? Um, but one of the, uh, slaves had just given birth to a newborn baby and uh, couldn't really chance the, right. the likelihood of it surviving on the you know the treacherous underground railroad were unlikely so she left it behind and Sarah Sullivan um, 
took the baby and started breastfeeding it herself and raised it as her own child, Arthur Boak, and he's buried with the Sullivans. So in 1802, even though she had been a slave over here's this uh, white woman breastfeeding a baby yeah. of color, which was yeah. kind of mind-blowing. The Keltons had a... Uh, um, the Kelton House is mm -hmm. a yes. pretty famous haunted uh, right. place. Yes. Uh, Sophia found a, um, a runaway uh, slave girl, 10 years old, um, in her bushes one day and raised that girl, took her into the house and raised her as her own. She's not buried with them in the plot because she married someone who's buried elsewhere over here. But, but she's buried here. But yeah, but yeah. so it's, I mean, the integration in the cemetery um, is, is pretty remarkable for, for the time remarkable. frame. It is mm -hmm. remarkable. Yeah. So what did you just choose to be buried here? Is that were, were people buried anywhere else? Um, or pretty much everybody just buried here? This was the go-to place to be buried. Well, this was yeah, for the uh, for non-secular. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that was the, that was the one thing about these cemeteries. They weren't necessarily associated with a specific church or anything gotcha. like that, you know. Gotcha. Um but yeah, the the the, the Mount Calvary and St. Joseph on 23 South, those are, were, you know, the Catholic cemeteries, Catholic, yeah. you know, where a lot of folks would be buried there if they were Catholic. Um, there are a couple Jewish cemeteries uh, off Allen Creek um, as well. But yeah, for the most part, this is, this and Union Cemetery were yeah. the two big, uh, yeah. you know, places yeah. to be put in the ground. You said 160,000 here? I believe so, yeah, it's close to that. It's. Uh, well, it's uh, it was 150 some thousand at last check, but I'm do you know how many vacancies are still open? Uh, they told me that they believe that they have enough space to uh, continue operating as an active uh, cemetery for a hundred years. Really? Wow! Yeah. Wow! It's 360 acres. And as he had mentioned it before, we just had to ask about the grave robbers. One interesting thing I learned recently about this cemetery, it has quite a few uh, grave uh, robbers buried in it, but... Um, grave robbers buried here? Yeah, yeah. So, which, so, That's a great irony, I well, love that. Well, I think it's kind of, it's, it's telling, like if you don't want to be messed with after death, this is yep. probably the place, they had to know something, <laughs> you know, to go coffin come here. Coffin torpedo. Yeah. yeah, actually Philip K. Clover, who invented the coffin torpedo, is buried in the uh, north uh, west corner. Really? Mm-hmm. <laughs> There was, um, a, a you all don't know, but I'm, I'm wearing a shirt that is a diagram of the uh, coffin torpedo that would discourage grave robbers from... Yes, it was, it was a, a small gun that the bodies would be buried with, so whenever someone would try to take a body out of the grave, it would go <laughs> off and hopefully do them some grievous damage. Um, the inventor is buried here. Uh, yeah, there's, there are quite a few grave robbers buried here, but there was really not many instances of this place ever having been uh, a popular spot for grave robbers really? themselves to do their work. Um, yeah, it was. it's always been patrolled very, because it was built during the height of grave robbing, so yeah. they always had security right. um, here. There were a couple instances where uh, people got caught and shot <laughs> well, they were, you know, uh, they not killed, but uh, night guards would shoot at them and uh, run them off. There was a, uh, um, a lot of people would have their uh, loved ones dug back up uh, after burial. There's a um, girl named Flora Keller buried over here who uh, died in 1895, and after they buried her that night, 
her mother had all these terrible nightmares that her grave had been opened. She went to her father's house and he had the same nightmares. So they were like, oh, this means definitely something. Yeah. So they petitioned the uh, cemetery uh, to dig her back up so they could make sure. And she was in there. I don't know that there's a really a winning situation right, there, right. outcome for you. In that. Well, you know, we just did the last episode of the season on ex- exhumations. And considering the potential for future Q-Files episodes, we wondered if Bucky had ever come across a ghost in Greenlawn Cemetery. And you know one interesting thing that uh, we were we were talking about how um, you don't usually consider graveyards a haunted place because mm-hmm. people don't have the living don't have really any association with them. But in my time since I've been doing tours here, I've gotten to know a, a bit of this, uh, number of the staff, and uh, several of them have been have had experiences here. Have they really? Uh, yeah, yeah. There's a one really interesting story. There was a woman who died in 2016. She was 98. Her name was Rose Bush. And uh, after she died, they started smelling overpowering uh, scent of roses in the cemetery office. And um, really? she's buried way over on the other side. I've gone to visit her a few times. Um, but yeah, and uh, um, one of the uh, one of the staff here, she. Um, mentioned that in a Facebook post and I was that week I was actually recording um, a short video about some graveyard symbolism in the cemetery that was just a little ways away from us and I wasn't getting it right and I kept I was probably came back here like four or five (laughs) days in a row because I would go home and wouldn't be happy with it one day I went over there and I got out of the car and I almost choked on the scent of roses. I mean, it was so thick and it's a big open area. There's no bushes, there's no flowers, there's no trees over there. And I started filming just, you know, hey, check this out. I'm gonna have to review this later and see if anything turns up. And uh, and then it was two days later that she posted uh, something about Rosebush, the uh, woman in, no in the scent of roses. Kidding. Yeah, wow. so I'm, I was quite far away from where she was buried, so I don't know if that was her that was visiting. She may be walking, me, roaming she, around. She might be roaming, yeah. You know, we've never considered doing a ghost hunt in a graveyard. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, but especially just, some, I mean, if you have sort of, you know, there's evidence of presence yeah. and specific presence here. Yeah. Well, um, mm-hmm. I think a lot of times people are like, oh, graves, graveyards are, are creepy, they're haunted. Mm-hmm. And it's like, if you, if you were a ghost, yeah. I mean, I understand being here because it's actually very pretty. Yeah. But in general, why would you be? <laughs> yeah, hanging out around grave? here. Like, mm-hmm. I, I, yeah, it wouldn't really make sense. But, but there have been people who uh, have really had strong association with the cemetery because their loved ones are buried here. And that's what makes sense to me. That's yeah. right. Yeah, because that's they a, came for years. It was a place mm-hmm. they went to yeah. visit their loved yeah. one. Yeah. I mentioned there was an unmarked grave in this um, section. Uh, a few few uh, plots that way um, where a a woman named Eva Wagner was uh, buried and she died very young in uh, 1880 and she was uh, her father's favorite and so after her death he would come and visit every Sunday uh, with a you know a very severe case of Victorian melancholy (laughs) and um, just come here every Sunday and spend the afternoon weeping and then on the third anniversary of her death um, cemetery workers came into this uh, area and saw this big crimson pool, uh, trailed it to uh, Mr. George Wagner's body uh, laying 
somewhere near where we're at now, you know, and he was wow. writhing around, he was still alive, and he just kept saying, I want my gun, over and over in German. And he had shot himself twice in the head, but he... Um, survived. He actually survived, yeah. Uh, another eight or nine years. Wow. Uh, yeah. Um, an interesting thing about that uh, was that first he shot himself around 7 p.m. at night. They figured out and had spent 12 hours um, blindly rolling around through this area and covered in blood, oh bleeding out slowly. And uh, in this pocket, they found a suicide note that uh, talked about a few different things, but the end of it had a very interesting um, reference to a man who had put something evil in his head. Uh, so that's what apparently drove him to finally join his daughter in death. Wow. Mm. Yeah, so there's that sort of, now that had to have left a mark, you know, <laughs> that the agony and that, the, well, oh I mean, God. three years of constant uh, misery standing Paralyzing grief, and, and, yeah. Yeah, and then that, that night of, uh, you know. And then to have to live your life with these, I mean, yeah. obviously some, it had some effect upon him. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, you know, I think you said one went through or bulged his eye out and the other went in his mouth. Mm -hmm. and yeah. yeah, he shot himself from both sides. <laughs> oh, go ahead. See, that, I'll tell you what, I've said that my whole life. Not that I'm necessarily prone to suicide, but one of the reasons I never do it because I would fuck it up. <laughs> I know, yeah. I just, I just destroy mm -hmm. one side of my, my jaw mm -hmm. so I couldn't eat. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I know I would never actually succeed. Mm. Yeah, that would, that would be my luck. Yeah. Too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Green Lawn Cemetery itself was first organized in 1848. The first purchase of 83 acres of forested land was made in the early spring of 1849 at the cost of $3,750, equivalent to $100,000 today. And wouldn't you know it? A public picnic was held on the grounds on May 23rd, during which a partial clearing of a small portion of the land occurred. It officially opened in 1849 as a rural cemetery. Architect Howard Daniels was hired to lay out the roads, paths, and plots, and had recently designed his first cemetery, Cincinnati's highly acclaimed Spring Grove Cemetery. In the 172 years since Greenlawn was created, it has become nothing less than a Columbus treasure and the forever home to many Columbus residents. That, that's another, that's a part of mystery of some of this, these stones, like how people end up where they end up. Yeah, yeah. Um, I told you about uh, Let me see Howard right. Daniels, the guy who designed the cemetery and went on to design Yeah, a talk a little bit about him well, after you get done, too. Well, I, that's fascinating. Well, it's, his first uh, cemetery was uh, Spring Grove in Cincinnati, which if you haven't been there, that's a... It's the largest. This yes, is a, I have actually. A friend a, of mine's mother uh, was buried there, and I was there for yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, that's a it's a gorgeous grounds, and it's a it's the um, largest uh, rural cemetery or largest cemetery in the state. This is the second largest, um, and this wasn't uh, Daniel's first um, cemetery, obviously, or, or his last. And he wasn't from Columbus, but he's buried in this one. Is he really? And he's buried in a in the Kimball family plot, which uh, I actually live on Kimball Place, that street. But he has no relation to the Kimballs, and no one can figure out how he ended up buried in the Kimball plot. He wasn't. Another mystery. There's yeah. no. There's no. Uh, there's no indication that they were even friends or knew each other. But he's buried with them. So weird. Mm -hmm. Seems like Greenlawn is really trying to get 
people to make the cemetery a social gathering place again. Mm -hmm. um, they have Day of the Dead here. Yes. Uh, they had a movie here last night, Night of the Hunter. Oh, uh, that was actually at uh, the Abbey. Oh, it was at the Abbey, yeah, gotcha. That was, yeah. But that idea of bringing people here yeah. um, for something other than just, mm -hmm. you know, a funeral. Yeah, uh, the, the current administration is really doing a fantastic job with a lot of different stuff here. Um, they asked us if we would like to do nighttime tours, which in the cemetery's 172-year history, you know. Wow. That wasn't uh, <laughs> ever been really allowed. Um, they are having a run with the dead on October 30th, where there's a, um, oh, wow. a marathon, kind of a run through here, a 5K, I think. Really? Yeah. I did notice coming in when they're showing the monuments, when you come in, like mm -hmm. the kind of monument, yeah. there's a... Blocko or... Is it... I, even if you went there, you I, I, yeah. you taught there. You were the dean of veterinary medicine. Mm -hmm. I still just don't see putting a blocko and a buckeye no. on my grave. No, I don't. You, one thing that always ticks me off a lot is um, the most loved and visited uh, grave in this cemetery is uh, Georgie Blount, the little boy that's yes, sitting on yes, top. Yes, 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 I've been to that. Yeah, and people uh, decorate him all the time, which... Uh, With, like, toys and things yeah, like and that? Yeah, clothing, but, uh, yeah, football season, they always put nuts around his neck. And I'm like, you know what? It wasn't even a thing when he was alive. He doesn't oh, care. But I'm going to go start taking those off. <laughs> well, well, now they now the cemetery has done that. Uh, they just had the stone cleaned, and so it looks beautiful and white. But these... Um, clothing and toys and stuff trap moisture and um cause great damage to the stone really? and deterioration oh. so now they have a plaque saying you know what if you have toys or these articles of clothing you want to do something with give them to living children yeah and we have a box at the cemetery office great so they've done some really That's good things great. like that and so we came to the end of our fantastic afternoon and our very delightful cemetery picnic amongst the dead and if you live in the Columbus area, we greatly encourage you to join Bucky on one of his really fun and highly informative tours of Greenlawn Cemetery. You will never find a better guide. You know what just dawned on me is that, now I know the three of us love stories, but you know, there's something about sitting in a graveyard reminding you of all the individual lives. It just is, is very, um, it, it just encourages storytelling. Mm -hmm. You know, it really does. It really does. It does. I mean, that's, there's, there's so much to share that the marble doesn't convey. Yeah, exactly. It's a whole life. That's mm -hmm. right. That's right. And a family and mm. yeah. Yeah, I agree. And that's why I love I love doing tours in the cemetery now. This has really become my favorite thing. I've developed a few different new tours, outdoor walking as a result of COVID. And this one has just been so much fun. And, and we've talked about, there are some silver linings to sort of the COVID, you mm -hmm. know, discovering these sort of new things yeah. and new ways. And Yeah, um, and that's, I've been telling stories I've never been able to tell. Yeah, 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 that's just great. That's just great. Yeah, you know, that's, I, um, Whenever I'm doing research on my stories, I always try to visit the graves of the people yeah, that I'm yeah. telling the story about just to kind of have that connection. And kind and, of get their blessing. Mm -hmm, you know? Yeah, I mean, exactly. Really. It'd be like, that's, you know, yeah. um, I'm here to tell your story. And, uh, and that's when I got the idea, like, I think people would enjoy doing this, you know, seeing these things and, and hearing their stories graveside. So, and the blessing, actually, that kind of ties back to the food, you know, because, um, uh, an interesting thing about um, these 
picnics and leaving food at graves was often to kind of placate the, the dead to prevent them from coming back to haunt you. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, there's that sort of thing as well. Hey, and thank you to our host, Ephraim Sells, for sharing his home with us today. Well, Ephraim, I hope you enjoyed our conversation. Yes, thank you for uh, having us. Yeah, thank you. Your home is beautiful. Well, it's an enchanting place. I mean, it really is a Columbus treasure. There's just no doubt about it. Yes, it is. It's um, and and I love bringing light to it and bringing people, you know, introducing them to how much this is was meant to be for the living, just as much for the dead. So, we you know. completely agree with you. That is absolutely true. And it was just really, uh, it's one thing to talk about it and then to come out and do it. It really mm-hmm. is fun and peaceful and beautiful it just i can't think of i'd rather do this than go to a restaurant or something i mean i really would (laughs) there's always something fun about a picnic anyway so Uh it's just like wow (laughs) i can't remember last time i've been on a picnic to tell you the truth well you know with the pandemic this is sort of the uh that's right you know this is kind of a, a great activity to to take in and safely and yeah enjoy. Except for beets Except in your bees in your cream soda. <laughs> yeah. Wow, just great. Well, you are a you are a Columbus treasure, my friend. Oh, well, I mean, yeah, you I, really are. The 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 wealth. Uh, I mean, encyclopedic doesn't even cover it. Oh. I mean, um, you're just you're just amazing. Absolutely. Well, What's so. in that brain of yours is amazing. <laughs> oh, the feeling is mutual. Both you. Um, yeah. Well, I just you know I just happen to have a lot of free time. Thank you so very much for joining us. And we encourage you to pack a tasty picnic, grab some family and friends, and head out to your local rural cemetery to dine with a few of your own dearly departed. Or simply say hello to your city ancestors and get to know a little bit more about your neighbors from long ago. You can find more information about Bucky's tours at columbusghosttours.com. Again, we thank Bucky so much for coming along with us. This show was created and produced by me, Shane McClelland, and Lori Gum. Until next time, friends. Be weird. Stay curious. These are the Q Files. Oh, there's a dead bee in my, speaking of death. Oh, no. In my boilers. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a little spicy. That would be great for our ratings, Bucky. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it would. <laughs> I've got... I mean, to die on air is one thing. To die on air in a graveyard is mm-hmm. just golden. It's just golden. Uh-huh. <laughs> I've got I've got two tours tonight, I can imagine. <laughs> <laughs>